to Ephesians chapter 2. They surprised me in the second service, by the way, and honored my wife and I last week. Today we're going to talk about being saved by grace through faith. Somebody say, it's all about that grace. Amen. It's all about that grace through faith. Salvation is a gift of God, something we could never earn. Ephesians chapter 2 should be familiar to us because we did a whole year and a half sermon series on Ephesians. But if you missed it, guess what? This will be uh, new for you. And if it's something you already know, then it will be reviewed. Paul speaking here, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in the ways you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at those uh, at work and those who are disobedient. And so what we see is that before we came to Christ, we were all dead in sin. Somebody say dead in sin. Thank you. So dead in sins means you can't be alive to righteousness. None of us could do good things without God changing us first to make us good. So what comes first? Do I teach my children how to clean their room or are they born first? What happens first? They're born first. You don't teach a child to clean a room that doesn't exist. You have to be born first, right, to do something like clean a room. Let me ask you a question. Do you learn to do good works first or are you supposed to be born again first? You get born again first. So a lot of times people think they're going to do good works first and then become a Christian. That's not how it works. You get born again first, made alive first, then you do good works. We have a special guest with us I just see here in the back. She's from the truck yesterday on Madison and Pulaski. Can you give it up for this young lady back here? Amen. Shout out your name real quick. What is it? Veronica, God bless you. I remember seeing you yesterday and it was what, your cousin with you? Your niece, thank you for coming today. The gospel truck works, folks. The Bible says all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. So all of us can relate to being born sinners. And if you don't believe people are born sinners, just look at children. How many times you got to tell them what not to do, right? Does anybody teach our children to lie? No, they teach themselves. Does anybody teach our children to be rebellious? No, they teach themselves. You actually have to tell a child to tell the truth, not how to lie. They'll learn to lie all by themselves. You actually have to teach a child how to share because they'll steal all day long. If you Just think about it. If you did not teach your children how to share, what kind of adults would they be right now? They would be stealing from everybody. They'd be like politicians, amen? Come on, help us, Jesus. So all of us, even though we were born as sinners, we chose to then be sinners. So look at a time in your life where you chose sin. So we just can't blame it on Adam and Eve that we were born this way with a broken hard drive or broken on the inside. We also take responsibility for it because we've made our own choices. Nobody makes you choose the sins you choose. It's just as if we would go to Baskin Robbins and there's all those flavors of ice cream. You would pick the ones you like. I would get chocolate chip cookie dough with uh, Oreos and cream. You might get something else, you know. That's the same thing with sin. You and I don't have the same set of sins because we don't have the same taste. You may have a taste for a sin that I go, man, that doesn't even bother me. You know, my sin is to sometimes get angry and get upset and get impatient. You may be the most patient person on the earth. You may say, hey, I never lose my temper. I never do that. But guess what? Your, your sin may be gossip. You just gossip all the time. That's your taste. So you say, I'll take a little gossip. I'll take a little perversion. And I'll take a little self-centeredness. And somebody else may say, I'll take a little bit of homosexuality. I'll take a little bit of greed. It doesn't matter. We've all done it, and it's all sin. Can I get an Amen. 
And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That means like the rest, everybody else, we were naughty by nature, sinful by nature, deserving of hell. So nobody goes to hell because they don't deserve it. Nobody goes there because somebody pushed them and forced them to go there. Like the rest, every single sinner that's ever been on this planet, we are like them and they are like you, deserve wrath. But everybody say, but... Amen. Aren't you happy God put a butt there? But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Do you see how it comes? You are made alive first. Then you can do all these other things. And God gave you the opportunity when he did that 2,000 years ago. So when you hear the gospel message, which means the good news about Jesus, when you hear that for the first time and you decide to believe it, that's not the first time God thought about you. That's not the first time God put a plan together to save you. God already had it set up from the very beginning. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And last time I checked, nobody here is 2,000 years old. So God planned this. And the Bible even gets deeper in Ephesians chapter 1. He predestined to save everybody like this. So even though he knew Adam was going to sin, Abraham and Moses and all these people were going to sin, he knew he was going to come and die on the cross for them. That's why he gave them sacrifices because sacrifices were a preview, a precursor of him eventually coming and doing what those sacrifices were previewing. Now get this, we're made alive in Christ. Somebody say alive. Amen. We go from being dead to alive. That's why there's no in between. You're either dead or you're alive. You've been born again, given a new spiritual life, or you are the walking dead right now. You don't have to watch some crazy show on TNT where they cannibalize each other and all that nastiness. You can just look around the city and see the walking dead. They have physical life but spiritual death. They don't know God's voice. They don't know God's word. And the Bible says they were dead. We were dead. All of us were dead. But Christ made us alive when he died on the cross. So now there's life waiting for us. And to take that analogy from the walking dead, there's the cure to change us from being the walking dead to the walking alive. And it says how it happens. Look at it. It's by grace you have been saved. See, every other religion will tell you to do something to be saved. Like Muslims, pray five times a day towards Mecca, and then maybe you'll get saved. Jehovah Witnesses, go knock on a bunch of doors, and maybe you'll get saved. Mormons, go ride your bikes, maybe you'll get saved. Hindus, do the crooked chicken and yoga, be a vegan, and you'll maybe get saved and get out of bad karma. The Bible is very clear. It's not by works, it's by God's grace, and grace is a gift. But like all gifts, gifts can be given back. You don't have to receive every gift. How many have ever got a gift and you kind of fake the smile, but in your mind, you know, I'm taking this back, you know? You say, oh, thank you, you know, thank you, but I'm taking this back. The receipts, they're good. Okay. How many know God gives you grace, but you can give it back? God gives you salvation, but you can give it back. God wants the whole world to be saved, but how many people are saying, no, I'm good, I don't want it? It's like when you come to my Greek mother-in-law's house. If you see the food on the table and you say, I don't want it, you're going to offend her. And if you don't eat three platefuls, she's going to think something's wrong with you. And that's how some people are with God. They're like, salvation? Nah, I'm good. Cutting back. Cutting back. Church? Nah, I'm good. I'm good. And it's like, no, you're not good. You're dead in your sin, an object of God's wrath about, wrath about ready to bust hell wide open. You're not good without Christ. Does everybody get that? 
So, but when we receive it, we don't take credit for it. When I go to my mother-in-law's house and she got all the food, just because I like it, I don't now take credit for it and say, look what I made, the baklava, look what I made, the skoidoya, you know, look what I made, these things. I don't take credit for it because I like it. Just because we like salvation, we love being saved. How many love being saved? Can I hear an amen? Amen. We don't take credit for it and now say, look what I did. I'm so much better than all these crazy people out here. I saved myself. No, all I did was receive a gift. That's all you do when you go to someone's house and they give you a gift. You don't take credit for it and say, look what I did. I did all this to get this gift. No, all you had to do was just receive it. That's why the Bible says, by grace you have been saved. Now look at verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That is an amazing statement that I could spend my whole sermon on about how now spiritually we're raised with Christ. Isn't that awesome? And go back to that Ephesians series and get the messages that talk about being raised with Christ. Though our bodies are here, God is in our spirit. And where God is, we are. And so God is in heavenly places. And he lets our spirit be there with him. Now, I don't think a heavenly place is like way, way over there. I think heavenly places are a different dimension. That's just my opinion, by the way. But that says we are in, the, the scripture says we're in it now. However you take it, just believe it. We're in those places now with God. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So everything in the future is going to be about God's grace. Now let's read verses 8, 9, and 10 together. 1, 2, 3. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do I have good works planned for my children to do? Yep, but they got to be born first. And once they're born, we can say, hey, son, I want to teach you how to play baseball. Hey, son, I want to take you snowboarding. Hey, daughter, I want to show you how to do trampoline tricks. You know, all of these plans God has for us are all based upon whether or not we want to be saved. If you want to be saved, God will do good works in you. But it doesn't come from you. Salvation in God's grace does not come from you. You're saved by grace through faith. And faith simply says, I trust God. Now, some people go, man, I don't got no faith because that's make-believe. Do you know that everybody lives with faith? Everybody. I've taught you this in the prior sermons here, but let me just give you a little bit of an example. How many know what tomorrow holds? Does anybody know? Does anybody know that tomorrow's even coming? Does anybody here have an expiration date on their body, on the bottom of your foot that says when you're going to die? You don't even know if you'll make it to tomorrow, let alone if they'll be tomorrow. Let me ask you another question. How do you know you'll be you, you tomorrow? You might have Alzheimer's and forget yourself. Your body will be there, but your mind, gone. Have you ever thought about how many things you have faith in just to live your life? You have faith you'll be the same person you, you go to bed as, you wake up in the morning. You have faith that tomorrow's actually going to exist for you and you're going to be able to see it. You have faith that the people around you are not robots. Have you checked to see if I'm a robot? Maybe while you were sleeping, everybody got body snatched by robots and we all have computer programs on the inside of us. Are you going to check every one of our brains to see that? We take faith, and we have faith in so many things. But when it comes to God, now people want to say, well, that's make-believe. No, 
having faith in God is actually the most sound, logical thing you could ever do because you're admitting, I didn't create myself. The universe didn't create itself. I'm putting faith in my creator. And Jesus Christ was not a liar. We have his words written down. And people say, well, those are words written by man. How do we know we can trust them? Well, do you trust two plus two is four? Who wrote that down, dummy? A man wrote that down. Do you believe it? Well, can men write down things that are true? Yes, they can. People said, I saw him ascend to heaven, and all the leaders at that time couldn't find his body. That's why today we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So don't try to think you're so smart and you don't have faith. No, everybody has faith. The, the question is, what are you putting your faith in? Somebody say, Jesus. Amen. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're saved. You put your faith in a good spouse, you have a good marriage. You put your faith in children as you've raised them right, you'll have a happy family. You put your faith in a good brother or sister, you'll have a strong community. And that's how the Bible told us to live. We can't prove everything in this life. We have to trust. You can't prove that bridge is going to hold you up, but you trust it when you drive on the overpass. Every single day, you take things by faith and trust. Put your trust in God first and foremost. And the Bible says he did this to make us his handiwork, his new creation to do good works. How many believe it? Can I hear an amen? Amen. So here's a couple of pictures I want to show you guys just to really tie it all together, and then I want to give some more application. But if you're new to Christianity, this is basically how it worked. We've been going through the worldview series, and it's not hard to follow. It's pretty simple. Worldview is how we see the world. Everybody has a set of lenses that they see the world from. The atheist looks at the world and says, wow, look what happened when nothing exploded billions of years ago. The Christian looks at the world and goes, wow, look at what God made. The, the person who is sexually impure and immoral looks at a woman and says, I'll use you today to have sex. A man who's single looks for a wife and someone to start a family with. Can I get an amen? Somebody looks at their money as a non-Christian. Look at what I can do with all this money. It's my money. I'm a self-made man or woman. The Christian puts on their glasses and says, thank you, God, for all your blessings. Who am I to bless with this? How you see the world will determine how you live in the world. And here's the big picture of the world. We were created perfect in God's image in the Garden of Eden, but we fell into sin because of Adam and Eve's sin. And then Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. And then one day he's going to bring heaven to earth. The kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things that people always ask is they say, well, if God knew that all these bad things were going to happen, here, let's just make it real simple. How about he doesn't make the people fall, there he, then he doesn't have to die on the cross. We can just have creation and beautiful restoration. We don't have to have any of this. Well, when we look at the Bible, God gave us free will. God's plan and action. So it's not God's fault that we sinned. It's our fault, but God did give us a choice. Somebody say God's descriptive will. God gave us his descriptive will and commands in the Garden of Eden. And he said, guys, you can eat of all the trees in the garden, but just don't eat of this tree. But then God gave us a permissive will. Everybody say God's permissive will. God said, but I'll give you a choice. You won't be my robot so he said, this is what I want you to do. This is my descriptive will, but here's what I'll let you do. I'll let you blow the whole thing up and curse yourselves if you want. That way I can know who really wants me so I can have a loving relationship with people in my image and not I love you from robots. So God permitted us to have a choice. Everybody say permissive will. 
Thank you, and we blew it up. And then the last thing is God's decretive will. God says, you know what? I'm then going to do what I want to do in the end with those who really want me. So you get to make your choices, but I'm going to make the consequences. Has anybody ever told their, their children that before? I know my dad used to tell me that, son, you can make your choices, but I'm going to make your consequences. Y'all get quiet when I talk like that. Y'all got parents that let you do whatever you want? Or maybe they said it a different way. But I thank God that I got kicked out of my house at 16 years old. Amen? Because my parents were like, you ain't doing that here. You could do that out there. You want to sell drugs and be a drug dealer? Do that here. You know? And God says the same way. Y'all don't want me? I got a place called hell just for you. So God is not kicking us into hell and everybody's screaming out, I don't want to go there. God's saying you get to go to hell by choice or you get to go to heaven by choice. And so that's God's plan. And does God know it all at the same time? Yes. Ephesians 1.11 says, God predestined us according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So even when people do wicked things, God still uses it for his good. All things work together for the good of those who love Jesus. Amen. So even though I'm a Christian, I still got a lot of people doing unchristian stuff to me. But that doesn't mean God's not working it out for my good. Even though I go through the problems or the pain of this world, the evil of this world, I know my shepherd is with me. His rod and staff, they comfort me. Amen. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So if you want to know why God allowed it all to happen, it's real simple. In the middle, God wanted free will creatures. God permitted us to make a choice. And how many are happy you have a choice today? Amen. Now we've talked about this before. Sometimes people have the wrong idea of salvation. Like when we were on the streets yesterday, a lot of people came up to me and said, man, I believe in God. And I say, well, are you living for God? And they go, well, God's working on me little by little. And they think this is how salvation is, that you start off as a sinner. And then you go to church. And then, boop, 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 you become 10% a Christian. And then you read your Bible and go to church a little bit more. And boop, 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 you become 20% a Christian. And then maybe sometime like in the, as you get older, like great grandma, she's like 80% a Christian. Oh yeah, she's amazing. And then they say things like Second Flesh chapter 2 verse 11. This is make-believe by the way. They say God's still working on me and one day he'll, he'll make me who he wants me to be because nobody's perfect. Has anybody heard somebody talk from the flesh like that? But is that how salvation works? No, complete salvation, it's not progressive. Listen to what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has what? Has come. The old has gone. Get out of here. And the new is here. The new is where? Right here. Point to where the new is. Right here in you. God saves us entirely the moment we're born again. Like I said at the beginning, you're either dead or you're alive. Now, here's something that I want you to think about because then people say, well, does that mean now as a Christian I don't grow or learn anything? Everything is done? No, you do progress, but not in the point of being saved, but from the point of being saved. You're not growing to be saved. You're growing from being saved. Here's the example. Does my son get more DNA as he gets older to be my son? No. He just learns to act more like my son. He got all the DNA from me he'll ever get. That one old night my wife and I got together. Amen. He got all the DNA he'll ever get that day. And then when he was born, he became alive for all of us to see and to talk to and to hang out with. And guess what? Now he just grows to be more and more like me. And so are Christians to stay where they're at? No, we're to go from infant to 
to to toddler, to adolescent, to adult. We're to become mature Christians, growing. But that doesn't mean we're becoming more and more saved. We're just reflecting and living more and more like Jesus. So how does it work? It's real simple. New birth plus spiritual growth plus your renewal and transformation equals reflecting the image of Christ. All these messages I've preached before, but it's good to review. So what does it mean to be new birth, to have a new birth? It means you're changed on the inside, saved and sanctified, made to be like Jesus. What is spiritual growth? Spiritual growth is knowing showing and growing. You know new things, you show that you know new things, and then you grow to do those new things. That's what it means to have spiritual growth. And then what's renewal and transformation? Places in the Bible like Romans 12 where it says, be renewed in your mind, be transformed. What it means is your thoughts and behaviors are always changing to be like Christ. So am I sinless? No, I still sin occasionally, but I sin a whole lot less than I did November 5th, 1995. That's the day I gave my heart to Jesus. Marks 23 years this coming up November, okay? God's been faithful. So over the last 23 years, have I been sinless? No, but I've sinned less. How many can say the same? You're reflecting the image of Jesus. And so see it like this. From the inside, God puts the Holy Spirit so that you can know, show, and grow, be renewed and transformed on the outside. Once again, God starts on the inside, makes you new, perfect, and complete so that then you can know, show, and grow and be transformed and renewed on the outside. And those are the scriptures there. Somebody say, make it plain. So we're saved by grace through faith. Now look at Romans chapter 4 as we study Abraham here. Abraham is known as the father of faith because he was the first one to get the message from God as we understand it now today. Genesis chapters 1 through 11, there's not a lot of good things going on. By Genesis 3, we fall. By Genesis chapter 6, the whole entire world is flooded. Then by Genesis chapter 11, God curses all mankind and separates them according to languages. So Genesis chapter 12 is a great break in the curses coming upon mankind because he really just could have just destroyed us all. But thankfully, he chooses Abraham and says, I'm going to start a covenant, a deal with him, a chosen people who will eventually become the Israelites. He'll have children. Abraham will have Isaac. Isaac will have Jacob. And Jacob will have the 12 tribes of Israel, which will become the 12 sons of that, uh, of that, of that family. And then from there, Moses will deliver them out of Egypt. And then from there, the kings will come like David and Solomon and so forth. And then the prophets as they continue to do wrong. And then Jesus will come from the line of David, an Israelite, to not only be the savior of the Jewish people, but of the entire world, those who are not known as Gentiles. Now look at what God teaches Abraham here. Romans chapter 4, Paul is looking back on the lesson that Abraham got in Genesis chapter 12. Once again, New Testament Paul, Romans here, chapter 4, looking back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 12. What then shall we say that Abraham, our, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this manner? What can we learn from Abraham when it comes to faith? Let's go to verse 2. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? And now he's going to quote Genesis 15 because they begin to have a relationship together, God and Abraham, through Genesis 12, 13, 14, and 15. What does scripture say? 
Abraham believed God. Everybody say Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. Thank you. And it was credited to him as righteousness. How many would be happy today if you could just believe for your debts to be paid and it would be credited to you as paid? That's literally what's happening right here. Abraham believed God and all of his debts were paid. He believed God and his mortgage was paid, in other words. Now you can see why some prosperity preachers get to be a little phony and they say, give in the offering and you'll never pay a mortgage again. Well, what they're trying to do is take the spiritual and apply it to the physical. I believe that God blesses us and gives us gifts all the time. God has blessed me with a lot of good things in life. But that's not the principle first. The principle first is spiritual to spiritual. Abraham believed God for all the spiritual sins and acts he had did against God. God's character, and when he believed God that he could be forgiven, he was made righteous in the sight of God. Can I hear an amen? amen? So did Abraham start going to church and then was credited with righteousness? No, did Abraham start obeying the Ten Commandments and then he was credited with righteousness? Did Abraham start, start being nice to his neighbors and stop being mean? No. What did Abraham start by doing? He believed God. Somebody say he believed God. Do you know that the greatest act of faith you'll ever do on this planet is just to believe God? Think about it. Just to believe Him. You will have to apply your greatest amount of faith to believe God. You may think to yourself that it's not important, but it is the most important thing, and it's the greatest act of faith you'll have to do. Because the devil will try to confuse you to get you to think that what you see is the way it's always going to be. That the way we see the world, the habits that you have in this world, the problems that you have will always be that way. It's going to take your faith to see these things change. But guess what? The Bible says all you need is the faith the size of a mustard seed. When I got saved November 5th, 1995, all I had to do was literally say, yeah, I'll give it a shot. What do I have to lose? I, I'll be honest with you. November 5th, I did not have a lot of faith. I had drugs in my pocket. I was going through a lot of problems in my life. And all my mom was, you know, was telling me was to believe in Jesus. And it was so hard. I'll be honest. It was very hard. But then she said, let's give it a shot. Let's go. Now, I could have taken that as a joke because God knows your heart. But I really meant it. I said, yes, pray for me. And that moment, I was never the same again. Thank God he doesn't require a lot. But we will grow in our faith. Amen. You can start with a mustard seed, but what does the Bible say? It grows to be the greatest plant in the garden. Now to him who works, wages are not accredited as a gift, but as an obligation. So if you're working for salvation, you can't say you're saved by grace. That's why it's a contradiction. So those of us here who think you're contributing to your salvation, you're actually taken away from it. You can't come to God and say you earn anything. Everything has to be credited as a gift to your account. Otherwise, you don't get it. So imagine like some of us here, uh, you, you were taught not to take things from other people. And, you know, you were taught to be a little bit machismo. You know, I don't need your help, you know, even though you might not have had lunch money that day. No, I'm fine. I'm not hungry. You know, and your friend's offering you some food. Some of us think that's, that, that's good to be proud prideful like that, that be proud. But the Bible says if you do that with God, you're actually going to hell. So if you look at God going, God, no, no, I don't want you to do it all for me on the cross. I want to contribute some here. I, I want to do something. God says, no, it's either all the way or no way. So I've even talked to people of other religions that way, and they said, no, it, it can't be that easy. I don't want just one person to take my sins. I've literally heard Muslims tell me that. I want to earn it too. You'll never get the gift of salvation. But here's the good news. Here is the good news. 
once you receive salvation, God's got a lot of good work for you to do. Just like once my children are born, I got a lot of work for them to do. Amen? But how many know I didn't have children to have them do my chores? I had children to share life with, and doing work together will be a part of that. Look at verse 5. Let's read it together. One, two, three. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So throw up your hands, your white flag, raise it to Jesus, and say, I surrender. I'm not trying to do it on my own, God. I'm going to do it your way. Then you're justified. And justified means just if I'd never sinned. It's a nice play on words, but it helps us remember the truth. When we're forgiven, God does not remember the sins of our past. God doesn't hold those things against us anymore. So it doesn't matter how ungodly I once was, now by faith I am righteous. And so I put it to people like this, as unrighteous as I was without Christ is as righteous as I am now with Christ. So if you go back to the thing right here, it's really only 100% both ways. I was 100% a sinner before. Now I'm 100% a saint. I was 100% ungodly, dead in my sins before, but now I'm 100% like God, set free from my sins. Amen. How many are saved in this place. Amen. Now let me just encourage those of you who are Christians, and my last point here as Adam comes is that he told Timothy, as we were mentioning in our pastor time there, he told Timothy to never let go of faith. Because you can let go of what once was given to you. You can stop trusting God and start trusting in other things. Listen to what Paul told Timothy. He said, I put this charge or command before you, Timothy, my child, in keeping with the prophecies once spoken about you, in order that with such encouragement you may fight the good fight. Everybody say, fight Fight. the good fight. Come on, say it again. Fight Fight. the good fight. Now, what is the good fight? Beating up your neighbor who took your parking spot? You know it's about ready to become cold and and snow again, and people are going to be putting out their chairs in front of their parking spots. Are you supposed to fight for that thing and knock them out, you know, for your spot? No. Are you supposed to fight the good fight in the ways of going against just the politics? That could be good. I mean, I want to see politicians do right. What is the most important fight we're going to face? Let's read in verse 19 all together. One, two, three. To do this, you must hold firmly to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so suffered shipwreck in regard to the faith. I forgot the word have there, sorry. And so have suffered shipwreck in regard to the faith. The greatest fight you'll ever face in life is the fight of faith. Will you hold on to it, or will you let it go? How many of you have been in some fights for your faith? How many of you have felt your faith being tested before? That's, not, that's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're here today, you don't need to raise your hand, but have you let go of faith? If you're here, Jesus says you can get back faith. Faith is not a mysterious thing that comes and goes. Faith is a choice for you to believe. You may say, Pastor, I've been so hurt in life. I don't know if I can start over again and believe in God and hand my life over to him. Then listen, listen. If you're talking like that, then that means you're having more faith in the problems than in the problem solver. You still have faith, but you have faith in your fear instead of faith in your God. As the old timers used to say, don't tell your God how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big your God is. Put that on Facebook. 
He even names their names, sadly. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan. Man, that's pretty serious. He had to tell some people in the church, man, you're going with Satan now in order to teach them not to blaspheme. Why? Because they let go of their faith. They stopped believing that God was who he said he was. Sometimes I look at backsliders, and that's what we call Christians who turn their back on God and slide the other way. I look at them as a walking contradiction. You let the pain of this world take away your faith in God, and yet you never stop to think what God did for you to take your pain. Jesus took your pain on the cross. Why are you thinking your pain is greater than that cross? Jesus can tell when you're faking it with him. But when you're serious with him, your faith will never be disappointed. How many of you have had some serious talks with God? Come on, whether you were at a funeral. I had a serious talk with God when I buried my sister. I always tell you guys about it because that's when my faith was tested. I had to decide whether or not I was going to believe more in the redemption than I did in the fall. God's not afraid of our serious talks. God's wanting us to stay true to faith. I know today many of you may be going through things that you're just saying, man, I know these are, this, this problem is too big for me. I can't go through this. I don't think I can see a way out. And you know what God is saying? He's saying, yeah, you're right. You can't go through this. And there is no way out. But guess what? I'm here with you, and now you can. And there is a way out. Now there is light at the end of the tunnel. What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Both of them had the same set of facts, didn't they? Jesus is being crucified. All their hopes of a Savior are there literally dying. They thought their Savior was going to be a king and conquer the Jews. They, they both felt like they failed him. Peter betrayed him more times, actually, than Judas. Judas betrayed him for one time, one time for money. Peter betrays him three times, even to a little girl, and curses out God. But what's the difference between Peter and Judas? One said, I'll keep the faith. One said, I won't give up yet. I don't see a way out, but I believe God has a way out. I don't feel strong at all, but God says he'll make me strong, even in my weakness, the Bible says. I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, but I believe Jesus is my light. And that's why Peter wrote the books of the Bible and Judas hung himself. Same set of circumstances, two different outcomes. Now ask yourself this question, who, are, who am I going to be in life? Who are you going to be? Because we're all going to have problems. Every single one of us are going to have problems in this world. All of us are going to deal with a wicked world that doesn't go right. But how many of us are going to stay true and say, I believe in a God who loved me enough to die for me? And that's why we go to Madison and Pulaski. Because I know there's no pit so deep that my Jesus can't go deeper still and pull them out. I know there's no addiction so strong that my Jesus is not stronger still. I know that there is no pain that is so great that my God's love and healing isn't greater still. There is no set of circumstances that can defeat our Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, he breathed, right before he breathed his last breath, he said, it is finished. That means everything we deal with here was finished on that cross. I just got to believe it today. 
And I say this now in closing as the band and altar workers come. Listen to me. You got to decide whether or not you trust him. It's going to be the greatest act of faith in your whole life. I promise you this. But listen, it will be worth it. Imagine being on a plane with your children. I got six children, so use that as an example. Imagine my wife and I, six children, we're on a plane. And the, ch- the, 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 the plane has turbulence. And my children start freaking out. And now listen, just imagine if they could jump out the plane because they're so scared. Now imagine me telling them, don't jump out the plane. You're safer here in the plane. Don't jump out the plane. This plane will make it. Now imagine if I was the pilot and I knew for a fact this turbulence is nothing. We got this. This plane was made for this. But yet my children got so scared. They said, I'd just rather die right now. I'd rather jump out right now. I'm so scared. That's like us with God so often. God is saying, trust me. I got this. I know how to land your life in heaven. I know how to take you from here to there. Don't jump ship. Don't jump Christianity. Don't get out the boat. Don't leave me. Because the safest place you'll ever be is right here right here and I know as we get older sometimes we think it doesn't work like that like oh you know we're so smart now our problems are so complicated Uh, it can't be that easy and God is telling us I still got you David said it like this I once was young now I'm old but I've never seen the righteous forsaken don't leave Jesus amen stay in faith stay in faith fight for your faith And then share your faith to a world that doesn't know the God you know. Amen. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today in the house of God? We love you, Jesus. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Amen. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for every person that's here today. As we get ready to dismiss God, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as they should, anyone here that needs to be saved or born again, that they will do so, oh God. And those here who are saved and they may feel like they're going through the toughest time of their life, God, they will fight the good fight of faith by your grace and strength. And may we never be the same again. May we keep growing and being transformed and renewed in all that we do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Give it up for Jesus one more time. God bless you. Slap your neighbor high five and say, fight the good fight of faith. As you go, if you would like to have prayer.